0: You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Epic Fail. This series explores some of the Bible's most spectacular disasters to learn how we can rebound from life's most disappointing and discouraging moments. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. When Jonah comes up, everybody wants to talk about the fish. Uh, did Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish? I mean... Uh, How could he have stayed alive? Did he stay alive? Is that even possible? And why those are legitimate questions. Uh, Not going to get into that today. We have to save that fun for some other time. Although I would say there are some really good reasons to believe that. Uh, My favorite is the fact that in in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself uh, refers to this and said it happened. And if you can predict your own death and resurrection and then have the power to pull it off... I'm gonna like give put a few extra votes your way, and so like I'm gonna. But anyway, we're not gonna get into that because that's not the point. So what is the point of Jonah? Uh, the point of this book is to show how God changes people into missionaries. The point of the book is to show how God changes people into missionaries. This is a very very important book uh, in the Bible. Uh, in, in that, we see God's heart to love and to save people, that uh, God's value, uh, the, the value that God puts on people is astounding. And, and in this book, we, we find out that the kind of people that God puts value on is even more astounding. And what he wants to do is he wants to use you and I, those of us who, who would claim the name of Christ. If you're here this morning, you claim the name of Christ, uh, he wants to use us to communicate and to demonstrate that kind of love to other people. But to do that, he has to change us. And the, the question I want you to think about as we go forward with today, and I'm gonna I'll bring it back at the end, is to what extent will you allow God to change you in order to bless other people? To what extent will you allow God to change you in, in order to bless other people? Uh, and Jonah's going to help us to answer that question for you, and it's going to help me. And so let's, uh, no pun intended, but let's dive into the story. And so uh, if you have a Bible, we're gonna, I'm just going to start in Jonah 1.1 and just read some verses and talk about the story. You can take my word for it, but it's probably better that you uh, follow along as well. In chapter 1, uh, we find out the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it or preach... Uh, for their evil has come before me. Now, there's a couple things you need to know about uh, Nineveh. First of all, it was a large city, a densely populated city. Uh, we read there in, in those verses in, in chapter 4, 5 through 11, that there's a, about 120,000 people. It was one of the largest, if not the largest, cities uh, in that ancient world. And if you, don't, if, you, if you don't know anything about God, here's one thing you really need to know about God. is God loves people. He loves lots and lots of people. Of people, he wants to bless lots of people. He loves cities. He loves uh, where people gather together. Uh, he wants to reach Nineveh. He wants to reach our city. He wants to reach St. Louis, South City, North City, all everywhere in between. So it's it's a populated city. But secondly, it's a very wicked city. So God's not just interested in reaching um, lots and lots of people. He's actually interested in loving and saving people who live in places that we'd rather not go and people we'd rather not relate to, much less love and serve. He wants to reach wicked people, like the Republicans <laughs> and the Democrats. And uh, if, if, if the Libertarian, the Green Party, if you guys get enough votes, you can be a sermon illustration too. And so... <laughs> uh, that's what you got to look forward to. And, but we all have people that we would view as being wicked, whether it's Trump or Hillary or Kanye West or Stan, Stan Kroenke or your neighbor, your boss, your mother-in-law, the entire Cubs organization. There are dark places in this world that you would rather not go. There is, there is a group of people that you'd rather not connect with. If anything about the last event of the events of the last four years up till the election taught us is that everybody in this room, we all have a group of people that we associate with, and there's at least one group of people that we really don't like. And if you don't know that about yourself, you don't know yourself. Nineveh, though, is about as dark as it gets. The Ninevites were known as some of the cruelest people in the ancient world. When they would conquer a city, they they would capture the men, women, and children. They would skin them alive. They would bury their skinned alive bodies in the ground, still alive, in the ground, leaving their heads exposed. They'd pull out their tongue, nail it into the ground, and watch them scream in anguish until they died of thirst. Now with the soldiers, they would take them outside of the city gate. So with the men and women and children inside, and on the, on the outside of the city, they would impale these soldiers after they had impaled them, which isn't comfortable if you don't know what that is, they um, they would cut off their heads and they would they would they would they would pile their heads up into this mountain of heads, as if to say, well, very much to say, you do not mess with Nineveh, you do not mess with the Assyrians, and this is a group of people that Jonah was called to love, serve, and preach the gospel to. Okay, so what's Jonah's response? Uh, no, please. We'll give that assignment to Dylan. And, uh, and so we realized, So we went down to the port, and lo and behold, there just happened to be a boat going 1,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh in a place called Tarsus. There's a couple things here to know here. That First of all, Jonah was like a legit upstanding minister. Right, and that's probably selling him short, because in 2 Kings 14, he's like the premier prophet in all of Israel. He is the Billy Graham of Israel, but we don't know him that way, do we? He is known as the quintessential example of rebellion. And all he did was say no to God once. And for good reason. I mean, going to preach to Nineveh was like preaching to Isis. These are bad dudes. So, why is he known for his rebellion? Because rebellion is simply saying no to God. And lordship is just one of those things that, if it's not absolute, if it's not total, it's not real. Uh, so we tend to, we tend to evaluate our walk with God on a curve. So it's like, I go to church, I do this and this and this. And so, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter that I say no to God in this area or don't give him a complete yes. Uh, because you know, I do all these other things. Well, it depends. It depends, uh, who you want to be Lord. Is that you or is that God? Do, so do you fit, do you in decisions you make fit within the range of possibilities that is God Or do you fit God within your range of possibilities? And what I mean by that is, I will live here, but I won't live there. I will give this, but I won't give that. I will love them, but I won't love they. I will forgive him, but I won't forgive her. It's really, really easy in our part of a world to look like we're walking with God, therefore think we're walking with God But there's oftentimes, if we're honest, I know we're in church, and so honesty isn't taken for granted. But there's some area of our life that we are saying no to him. There's some area of our life that we're like we're we're like on a boat going to Tarsus. That could be a relationship. Uh, Your money could be Tarsus. Your um, you know, how you spend your time could be Tarsus, and, and check out where Tarsus will take you. In the verse 3, where it says, away from the presence of the Lord. So this is going to be really helpful if you're trying to nuance, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm saying no? Well, real obedience is when you want the presence of God more than you want anything else. So how do you know today? How do you know right now if you are in Rebellion. Because God is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's, he's, he will allow you to, uh, to, to rebel. He, he will allow, he'll allow you to go. He'll allow you to do that. So we don't have this immediate consequence all the time reigning us back in. So how do you really know that you're in rebellion? Well, real obedience is when you want the presence of God more than anything else. So Daniel 3, we read about Shadrach, meshach and abednego guys who were thrown in the fiery furnace and they were given two options option number one obey and die obey god and die okay what's option number two uh deny god and live so you obey god and die or you disobey god and live would you rather be in the flames with god or would you rather be in comfort without god Psalm 51, we talked about week one of this series. Uh, David, he's like the worst place in the world for him with not being God's presence. He says, God, if you do anything, please don't take me away from your presence. Let me ask you a question. Think about right now, what is the worst possible place for you to be? Is the worst possible place for you to be outside of God's presence? Because... If, if that's not true for you, you'll end up in Tarsus. The second thing I want to know is that there's just a ship ready. I mean, just like, there just happened to be a ship. I mean, he's like, I don't want to follow God. And then all of a sudden, he goes down to the point. Oh, my gosh, there's a ship ready for me to go in the opposite direction of where God wants me to go. There's an open door. If, I, you, know, you, go, you walk through an open door, right? Because if, if, that's, that's how you know it's God. Is there's an open door. Let me tell you something. There will always be a ship ready for you to go to Tarsus. There will always be a ship. Satan will always have a ship ready for you to leave the presence of God. Anytime you want to board it, it's available. Determining what you do in your life based upon an open door is not going to help you very much at all. Uh, there are doors that are open that you need to walk by, and there are doors that are shut that you need to kick down, quite frankly. That's another sermon, but... Um, just because there's an open door doesn't mean that you walk through. I mean, I, can tell, I, mean, if I, the, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who have like will, have like blatantly and willfully disobeyed God because of an open door. If it was legal, I mean, if it was legal for me to record these conversations to show you, just to help you to know what this is like. But when you get in this situation, when the pressure's on you and something in your life gets squeezed that you don't like getting squeezed, um, you'll find this open door. But not only that, this peace, well, I just, have a, you know, I just feel good about it. Hey, there, there's no question that, that, that ultimate peace from, comes from God, but there is a peace that Satan will offer you. What do I mean by that? So in the garden, he comes to Eve, and he gives her the logical, the rational framework to disobey God. He sets her mind at ease. Hey, you're, you're, it's okay. God's, you're not going to die. You know, God's gonna, this is gonna make you wise. He gave Eve peace. Open doors, peace, are not necessarily uh, reasons to go forward. There's always, there always will be available. But, but then we move on to the story. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, this is verse five, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners or the sailors were afraid and cried out to his God, And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and he was fast asleep. Now, there's a play on words here that's really helpful. Uh, and this is kind of in the, in the narrative of Jonah is that it's this, 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 um, uh, how do I say this? This, this downward spile of disobedience. So he goes, he goes down to Joppa, he goes down into the ship, and then he goes down to sleep. And this is the progressive nature, and sometimes even the subtle nature, of of sin. The progression of sin, what what starts with like small disobedience, disobedience, ends up being total disaster. I mean, James tells us in in chapter one of his letters uh, that that our desires, that our wrong desires or that our over desires, that when they when they are conceived, they give birth to sin, and when sin's all grown up, it leads to death. When When sin is all grown up, it leads to death. So a porn addiction in your 20s leads to adultery in your 30s and family destruction in your 40s. There's a progression. Feeling slighted leads to unforgiveness, It leads to a life of bitterness. Staying shallow in your friendships leads to a lack of accountability, which leads to a lot of bad decisions and tons of heartache. Parents, letting uh, the world... Uh, revolve around your kids leads to self-centeredness and leads to pretty much everything that's wrong with the world as we know it. Beware of the drift. Oh, I just got a little sin in my life. I just got a little lust issue. I got a little lust problem. I got a little bit of bitterness. I'm just a little materialistic. I mean, I'm not greedy. Crush sin why it's relatively small. Or as my friend PJ Smythe puts it, young lions grow up to be big lions and big lions eat people. Kill the young lion while you still can, figuratively. Don't kill animals, but kill sin. <laughs> so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, sleep? Like, why are you sleeping? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God will give another thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now here's something sad and insidious about sin is that our disobedience affects others. Sin is never private. As much as you tell yourself this is a personal decision, your sin affects other people. In fact, some of you are here right now and you are suffering under the consequences of someone's sin that you love. You are feeling the pain and the effects of decisions and sinful acts that other people have committed, either against you or somehow they indirectly or some directly affect you. Or maybe... Your sin is affecting other people. One of the greatest gifts I can give to everyone who knows me, wife, kids, friends, neighbors, you know, elders, you guys, is to stay close to God and repent often. To stay close to God and repent often. Of course, I should do that for my sake, but I should do it for my family. The greatest gift that I can give and that you can give the people that you love is a desire for holiness, And when you fail, and you will fail, that's that's why it's called. we're doing a series called Epic Fail. It's okay to fail. We all fail. Um, We all fail. But when you fail, don't run from God's presence. Run to God's presence. The other thing here is that we see that God sends storms, like he did with Jonah, to keep his people from running too far. You know, when we're slaves to money, sometimes God will bring a storm to our finances. When we're addicted to the approval of other people, sometimes He sends storms to our relationships to engage us on where we're running from Him. Now, just to be uh, super, super clear, um, God does not send storms to pay you back for your sin. God sends storms to bring you back from your sin. Uh, On the cross, uh, when Jesus paid the price of our sin and said, it is finished, it was, His he drank the wrath of God. And he drank every single drop. There is none left for you. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Anything that would happen to you is not punishment from God. It's purification. Uh, storms in your life are not retribution. They're restorative. But God brings us storms to, you know, to bring us back to Him, to, to engage us and say, hey, you're going too far. I'm not going to let you go any further away from me. I let you get on the ship. I'll let you go a little bit, but I'm not going to let you go any farther because I love you too much. So the, he, Jonah's like, hey, you've got to throw me over. And you've got to love the sailors. You've got to commend them because they're like, man, we're not going to do that. We're not going to throw you over. I mean, they're more holy and righteous than, than Jonah is. But Jonah's like, you've got to do it. And so they finally throw him over. And this is interesting, funny to me, not really a spiritual point here. But so they throw him over, and the sea goes totally calm. You've got to think Jonah's like, it worked. Like the storm, the storm is coming. I, I'm thrown into the sea. You know, life is good. Go, you know, fish gets him, and uh, he thought everything was going to be fine. But the fish takes him away, and he goes and he's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Some symbolism there, and he literally gets re- spit up on the side of the uh, on, on the beach. And he what looks like in chapter two. If you read through chapter two. It's like he, it looks like he repents. I mean, he says some pretty beautiful things. He says some amazing things about, like, man, that was wrong, and this is who you are, God, and all those kinds of things. And uh, so it seems like he repents. And then in chapter 3, you know, God gives him a second chance. He's like, okay, now go to Nineveh. He's like, all right, I'm going to go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel. And in the end of chapter 3, we read that, I mean, he preaches the gospel. And they all, I mean, they, they're just repentance all throughout Nineveh. I mean, the king declares, like, everybody, you know, sackcloth, repentance. Work, you, know, you know, they repented fully, and it says that God heard their cry for repentance, and he withheld wrath from this city. I mean, isn't this great news that the gospel penetrated such a dark area? Well, let's ask Jonah. Jonah 4, verse 1 But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Sometimes we don't want God to give people mercy, but justice. So maybe somebody maligns you at work, and you get demoted, or maybe you get fired, and you have to downside your lifestyle. And then next week you find out that this, this woman that gets saved at church, and she's in your community group. Isn't that awesome? No, it's not awesome, is it? God, there's so many people you could save. Why her? Why him? That's where Jonah was. And so he prays, Lord, is this not why I said yet when I was in my country that that this is why I had to flee to Tarsus? It's like, God, I knew you were going to forgive him. I didn't want this to happen. So he's like justifying himself. I mean, so I'm wondering, and this is kind of the process really of, and and I'll get more into this at the end, this process of his repentance he starts out with just flat-out disobedience. God says go, he says no. And then he kind of repents, but he, he, he upgrades from, from flat-out disobedience to obedience, but it was, it was, he didn't want to do it. It was dutiful obedience. And, and maybe that's where you're at this morning. You see the, the, the duty in obeying God, but you don't see the beauty in obeying God. You'll eat your vegetables while your mom is looking, but as soon as she leaves the room, you know, you feed them to the dog. Because you see no value in that. So yeah, you're doing the church thing. um, But because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't. Not because you want to. And the good news is that what God wants in your life is not dutiful obedience. He, He doesn't just want you to do it whether you like it or not. And you'll see this in how he treats Jonah. But he wants to transform you. To, to give you both the will and the way to do what he asks you to do. He wants you to, he wants you, he doesn't want you to go to Nineveh, preach the gospel and be, and then like be angry about it. He wants you to do that and be like, he wants to fill your life with joy. And then he goes on, for I knew, and this is, I mean, the irony here, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, how awful is that? I mean, God, you're so merciful and gracious. and lo- I mean, how dare you, God? Be so loving, gracious. It's terrible. Come on, Jonah, is it really that bad? Well, bad enough to die. Please take my life from me. For it's better that I die than to live. How do you get there? How do you get to where Jonah is? Um, Because it's really, really important for you to see Jonah in you. In fact, uh, in the Jewish faith, uh, one of their uh, Yom Kippur, which is a day of atonement, it's like the holiest day of the year for them. Uh, It's a day of repentance. And during this day, they read all of Jonah. And at the end, they chant, I am Jonah, I am Jonah, as they seek to repent. And it's so helpful for you to see Jonah in you. It's grace to you that you do that. So what was Jonah's real problem? Well, it wasn't that he was a nationalist, or you might even say a racist. It wasn't even that he was fearful of danger or that he was had an anger issue or unforgiving, bitter, self-pity. His main problem is that he was given to idolatry, which plays out in two different ways in Jonah's life, and it may play out this way in your life, too. One is an identity. So Jonah put a lot of identity in his own race. He put a lot of identity in uh, being an Israelite and his status as a leader in a prosperous nation. He he loved the ideological bubble that he lived in. He couldn't understand the ideologies of other people. And again, like you know, if anything that this election taught us is that we're all in a group. Um, we're all in a group and we all have people, we all, we, we all vilify people in other groups, whatever that group is. And, uh, and so he, he was in that case. He was in an ideological bubble he lived in. So he was a leader first, a God follower second. He was an Israelite first, a God follower second. He was a Democrat or Republican first, a God follower second. He had a prestigious role in a company first, God follower second. Idolatry is when you build your life on anything other than God. But it's more than that. Idolatry is when you desire something more than God. And this is what happened with Jonah. He was more interested in identifying with and being a witness of his own ideology, his ideological perspective um, than being a witness to the love and mercy of Jesus. He's more jazzed about his, his world and propping up Israel than he was about being a witness to the love of God. He was more interested in his personal comfort. I mean, in the verses that we read in the beginning in, in Jonah 4, 5 through 11, it says that he was exceedingly happy about this plant. It brought him comfort. He was exceedingly happy. And, but in, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that he was exceedingly uh, angry at what, how God showed them forgiveness. God's trying to reason with him, too, to love these people. He's like, you know, you, know, you, you, you pity being, not being comfortable. How come you don't pity these people? You know, how come you don't pity, you know, you, you, you want to have shade during the day. You want to be comfortable, and you're, you're upset when that doesn't happen. How come you're not upset that these people don't know their left hand from their right hand? Aren't, doesn't that bother you? And Jonah's like, no, it doesn't. I want my plant. That's what I'm interested in. Idolatry is when you want, when you desire something more than God. Let me ask you a question. What are you most terrified in losing? What are you most terrified? Let me ask you another question. Same. What, what are you obsessed about obtaining? What are you obsessed about? Is that money? Is that a career? Is that a relationship? Being right. Safety. I'll do anything for safety. What are the symptoms of idolatry? Well, in Jonah's life, it was fear, hate, worry, anger, jealousy, self, you know, self pity. No one recognizes what I do around here unforgiveness. Let me ask you, do you have these emotions? Now on one hand, these emotions are precious because they are an indicator of a much deeper problem. Um, These emotions are to idolatry as smoke is to a fire. Like I don't like smoke in my house, but I like it if it's going to lead me to the fire that's in my house so it doesn't destroy my house. Uh, hate, worry, fear, anger, jealousy—these are not like positive emotions. Not very winsome. Do you have these emotions? Um, but it's not your big problem. If you've got these emotions bellowing out of your heart, it's pointing to a much d- deeper and, and bigger problem that you have. And here's the thing about Jonah. And this is where you have to see—you have to see Jonah in you. He felt very justified in being angry. He felt very justified in, in being full of fear. He felt very justified in vilifying this other group and being unforgiveness and bitter, just like we do. When we're angry, we feel justified in being angry. Let me ask you, I mean, we just selection. This is going to be convicting. This is where freedom will come from. In this election, what was bigger in your life? Was, was, did you feel more faith or did you feel more fear? Did you feel more empathy or did you feel more anger? Compassion or hate? Were you more likely to rant with your friends about the candidate that you liked... Or the candidate that you didn't like? Or were you more likely to talk about the faithfulness of God when things don't make sense to you? Not just the election, relationships, career, all these These emotions that come out of us, this fear that comes out of us, this worry that comes out of us, this anger that comes out of us, this hate that comes out of us, that's not... The issue, that's not the problem. It points to a much deeper issue. So if you experience these things, if you experience worry, fear, all these things, it's, it, it's smoke telling you that there's a fire in your life. That you're building your life on something other than God. That you desire something more than you desire God. For Jonah, it was his own ideological perspective and his comfort. Those things got attacked and he became angry and he became hateful and he became unforgiving and he became jealous and he was filled with self-pity and he felt just in doing so. Where do these emotions show up in your life? Now, here's the good news. This is not, I mean, this is like so helpful And to to recognize that, oh my gosh, I do have anger. Oh my gosh, I do, I am afraid. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have these things. Hey, guess what? God gives you the tools to turn from that and get rid of the source, which isn't the smoke, it's the fire. It's the idolatry that we have in our hearts. That we're building our life on something other than God and that we desire something more than we desire God. And we can turn from it. And it's a process. And God's going to be patient with you. Just like he was patient with Jonah. I mean, he's engaging him and, and, and loving him. Part of what got Jonah into this, and will help get him out of this, and this may be where you are, is he was ignorant to the grace of God in his life. He just wasn't factoring in the God's compassion. I mean, God saved his life, miraculously. And he comforted him. He brought a plan. You know, he's like, he's not... He, he was kind to him. But he, he wasn't thinking about that, probably because he was viewing the sin of other people bigger than he was viewing his own sin. And time we look at other people and look down at them for any reason at all, whether we feel justified or not, is that we will fail to see God's grace toward us. And it will result in unforgiveness, bitterness, a lack of generosity, and all those other things I mentioned. Which nobody here wants to be those things. But nobody really. But the source is, a, is that. And he wants to come, and he wants to deal with it. He wants to come. I mean, let me ask you a question. Who, how did, did Jonah, did Jonah make that plant grow? He made, God made the plant grow, right? I mean, Jonah wrote this book, by the way, and he even says, you know, God made it grow. He knew that it made it grow. Let me ask you a question. What do you have in your life that God didn't give you? The answer there is nothing. I would have taken zero or (laughs) none or nada. The universal sign for zero, that's what it is. So why are we so angry? Why do we get so frustrated when things get taken away? Jobs get taken away. Friendships get taken away. God's 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 filled your life with blessing. He takes these things away sometimes, I think the storms, is to get our attention, to bring us back. Because he wants to convert us into, he wants to bring us into the family business. You know what the family business is, right? As a Christian, you know what the family business is? It's loving and being a part of seeing millions and millions of people be redeemed from their sin. Which, that was, we were on the other side of that at one time. and God God brought us into into his redemption plan. He says, hey, I want to make, I'm going to make you part of my family, but I also want to bring you into the family business. I want to use you to love, to demonstrate my love and communicate my love, because I want people, I want all kinds of people. But there's a limit that we put on God. There, there are people that we won't, we won't love. There's comfort that we won't give up. To reach people. And there, there's a sense to which, and here's what's amazing to me, there's a sense to which God actually gives each and one, every one of us in this room and us collectively together as a, as a church. He gives us the option of how many people we want to bless. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you want to bless with the eternal message of love that God wants to communicate? How many people do you want to bless? God, there's a sense to which God gives you a choice. But the amount of people that you'll bless is correlated to your willingness to let go of comfort, your willingness to let go of your time, your willingness to let go of your money, your willingness to let go of your personal preferences, your willingness to let go of yourself. If you let go of yourself, if you die to yourself, if you do what Jesus says, if you lay down, if you pick up your cross and follow Him, He will lead you into a life a full of joy but you'll bless as many people as you want to bless. Uh, I love the story of guys like Hudson Taylor and, and the Moravians. Uh, you can Google these guys later if you don't know who they are, but they, I mean, they just did amazing things in terms of just giving their life away. I mean, the Moravians sold themselves into slavery to reach people in slavery. It's amazing what they did. Lottie Moon, she's a missionary to China. She was single. She wanted to be married, but she needed in order to go to China... She couldn't be married, and it was it wasn't easy for her on the on the front. And she pray, she said, "I pray that no missionary will ever be as lonely as I have been." And when most missionaries fled China during the uh, China Japan War, she stayed. And when the U.S. government said, "Hey, I we want to," they were wanting to bring everyone back. She's like, "No, this is my home. This is where I've called. This is where I'm called to be." Just like some of you, you know, you're in the city, you're in South City, you're North City, you're in different places, and. God wants to give you a heart that, wants, that, that would want to stick with it and bless the people in your neighborhood for the long haul. She's like, I, nothing can make me return. China is my joy. China is my delight. It's my home now. And says that she struggled for years to get people to China listen to listen to her, but a turning point happened in her life when one day the pastor of a small Chinese church was involved that she was involved with was captured and tortured. And this pastor was getting beaten very, very badly. Um, I mean, just horrendous. I'm, I'll spare you the details. But she, said, she came in, she said, stop, beat me instead. And she stood between the guard and this man. The guard screamed, get away, you know, get away from him, you know, you foreign devil and some other stuff. But she wouldn't move. And, and, and witnesses said she just had this peace about her that was just weird. And, like, the, the guard just didn't know what to do, so he dropped his sword and walked away. And she took this pastor Chinese pastor, to hospital, and she recovered, and because of this, multiple, multiple, multiple people came to know the love of Jesus because of her sacrifice, and in 1911, a great famine swept her portion of China, and again, she refused to leave, and she literally gave her life away as she gave away her food and her Um, her portions to other people, and she died of starvation. On her deathbed, she weighed 50 pounds. The Chinese nurse that was with her said that when she was dying, she she was singing, Jesus Loves Me, and she began to rattle off all the names of friends that Jesus had saved through her sacrifice. And when she got to the last name, she breathed her last breath, and she died. And women like her, just, her, their life speaks to the weightiness of the mission. That, that Jesus is worth any sacrifice. That, she's, that Jesus is better than any husband, better than food, better than life. He's worth following to the ends of the earth. And you and I have that same opportunity. You have an opportunity to give your life to something. You can give it to your own comfort. And you can put lots of other things in that category. That could be a job. That could be friends. it could be where you live. That could be how you spend your time. That could be fill in the blank. What's worth your life? Is your life worth that comfort? Jesus says that unless a grain of wheat is willing to fall on the ground and die, it's just a grain of wheat. But if it falls in the ground and it dies, it will produce... 30, 60, 100-fold? Are you willing to let go of your comfort for others? People in this church have sacrificed. This church got started on the sacrifice of what originally was 22 adults. It took on a $300,000 mortgage, which is way more than they should have. It wasn't me. I wouldn't have done it. So, and, um, But they did it. And 130. I was for, here for this. 130 adults over the course of four years gave $800,000 so this building could be bought and rebuilt. $800,000. Some of them are in this room. Most of them have gone either to help get the lake get started, Washington get started, and Kirkwood. A lot of the blessing that you receive from this church is based upon the sacrifice of other people. And you know what? There are people in this room right now who are sacrificing week in and week out. There are people who are, who are giving away loads of money. There are people who are sacrificing their time. There are people, you know, whether, whether you serve with the kids or you serve, you're a greeter or you're hosting a group or leading a group or you're just caring for people. I mean, I don't know if you know, sometimes people can be draining I mean, not the people I know, but like sometimes the people that you know, they could be draining. I can be draining. We all are draining. To care for people is it's not always fun. And then you try to help people and they don't like you because you're trying to help them. It's even more fun. It's hard. It's, I, I like watching TV on Tuesday. Wednesday, or Netflix, or whatever. I like sitting, I'm a little bit of an, I don't, we're having lots of favor in our neighborhood right now, but I'm not taking advantage of it like I should, because I like my comfort. I'm sacrificing, blessing other people for my own comfort, and I don't like it. I can see Jonah in me. You see Jonah in you? What, what area, what is it in your life? Is it, is it a time thing? Is it a money thing? I just want to encourage you in the sacrifices that you're making yes you're letting go of comfort but you're getting so much more and I want to encourage you to, to keep going with that God has created you, designed you to walk in good works people, people in Nineveh people in South City, North City, Central West End East St. Louis wherever you are God wants to give you a burning heart for that place. He wants you to love it. it. And whether you love it or not is not the point. If you don't love it, ask God to make you love it. Don't see, see yourself as Jonah. See yourself as Jonah and say, God, why did, I want to... See, Jonah sat outside of the city and, and asked God to destroy it. Jesus, the one we want to be like, sat outside Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem. Be like Jesus, not like Jonah. Weep over your neighborhood. Weep over your campus. Weep over your city. Ask God, will you use me? Yes, it will, it will seem like a sacrifice, but the, the blessing is so much more.